I am particularly excited about tonight because I want to start tonight's talk by showing arguably one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. So let's, let's roll the clip. Hey guys, wait up! Whoa. This does not concern you, kids. And you're lucky I don't tell your parents you were out there. You know you can't swim well. I can swim fine, Dad, okay? No, it's not okay. You shouldn't be anywhere near here. Okay, I was right. You know what? We'll start school in a year or two. No, Dad, just because you're scared of the ocean. Clearly you're not ready, and you're not coming back until you are. You think you could do these things, but you just can't, Nemo. I hate you. There's nothing to see. Gather uh, over there. Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you, he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if you're not looking. No, I'm not saying you're not looking. Oh my gosh! Nemo's swimming out the sea! <gasps> Nemo! What do you think you're doing? You're gonna get stuck out there, and I'm gonna have to get you before another fish does! Get back here! I said get back here, now! Stop! You take one more move, mister! D don't you dare! If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat! Nemo! He touched the butt. Great scene, and it gets better and better every single time you watch it. Which does spark a great conversation. Maybe this could be the icebreaker in your small groups. What is the best Pixar movie? What is the best Pixar movie scene? It's not. I, I, I'll, let's put that to rest. It's not Cars. It's definitely not Cars. But um, Finding, <laughs> Finding Nemo's close. Finding Nemo's a good one. Anyways, the reason I showed this clip is not because I love Pixar movies and not because I love this movie and particularly this scene. But the reason I, I showed this scene is because it actually has a lot, it makes me think of a lot of the book of Proverbs. So as you guys know, the past month, we've been talking about the book of Proverbs, and we've been saying that this book shows us, it gives us the tools, it shows us the path to walk down towards a good life, right? If we want to achieve a good life, we should know what, what the Bible calls wisdom, right? And that's, that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. And one thing that really makes me think of this scene, though, is the context of this book, right? As we know, as you're reading through the book, as you read the beginning and throughout, throughout it, oftentimes we see that it is a parent talking to a child. So in a way, you can look at Marlin 
and see him talking to Nemo. And this is the context of the book of Proverbs. And so in this scene, we see Marlon, who's an overprotective father, and we can kind of see why my Nemo wants to rebel. So, so he's not a perfect parent. That's not what I'm trying to get across. But instead, what I'm trying to show you is that Marlon sees the danger that Nemo is putting himself into. Now, maybe he's overprotective. Maybe he's being a helicopter parent, and that, that's all valid. But, but Marlon sees the danger that Nemo is about to do when he goes out into the open sea. And that's kind of how the plot line of the movie gets started, right? The movie's called Finding Nemo. The reason it happens is because he goes out into the sea, he touches the butt, he touches the boat, and he gets kidnapped, right? And, or kidnapped, not, he's not a kid. Well, he gets captured, right? He gets, he gets taken to the zoo, right? He, he, he's gone, and we have to go find him. And then Dory gets met, right? And we go on this adventure. But ultimately, this movie starts, the plot line gets going when Nemo does not heed the warning that his parent gives him, right? Marlin, a parent that loves his son unconditionally, wants what's best for him. Okay? And in the same way, the book of Proverbs is written with that type of tone. A parent wanting what's best for their child. Because our parents love us unconditionally. A, a love that we probably won't understand until we have kids ourselves. And so that is what this book ultimately is about. So today... We're going to look at some of the warnings that Proverbs highlights throughout its book. And, and like it's, it's, it's seen throughout the entire book. It's, it's not even worth looking at a couple of passages because it's, if you read the book of Proverbs, you will see a lot of warnings that our parents, that our spiritual parents have for us because they ultimately want to see us live a good life. So today we're going to look at three warnings in particular that I think are very applicable to our lives today. And then we're going to learn about how we can have victory over those warnings and how the gospel teaches us how to live in a world full of these warnings. And then I'll close with three observations. Okay, so the first warning that I want to talk about can be found in Proverbs chapter 6. And it's verses 6 through 11. It says this, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. So the first warning that I want to point out today to you is that of a sloth, or slothful behavior. Fun fact, sloth isn't just like that fun animal that moves really slow. I think probably the reason why it's called a sloth is because of the word sloth that means laziness, that means lack of work, not wanting to get work done. Now, I know a lot of your parents, and a lot of them believe in the American value of hard work, right? Like, putting on, like strapping up your bootstraps, rolling up your sleeves, and going to work. Like nothing is more powerful or more valuable than a good hard day's work, right? That, that's what our nation is founded on. And that's not ultimately what, this, what these verses are, are really saying. Instead, it's telling us, one, be like an ant, right? Be, an ant is, one, it doesn't have a general, it doesn't have a commander telling it what to do, but instead it's always taking every minute available to go find food and bring it back to its home, taking advantage of, of every minute that the Lord has given it, right? So it's, it's picking up the ant and its work ethic. But it's also telling us not to be a sluggard, 
which I love. Don't be a sluggard. Even that name, like, you don't even have to really know what it means to know that it's an insult, right? This, this, this author is not using it and, and saying you should try and be like a sluggard. Instead, it's telling you every single time you see it in the book of Proverbs, it's like, do not be a sluggard. Sluggards are fools. So actually, when my dad, when I was growing up, my dad was a pastor, and he would talk about the book of Proverbs, and oftentimes he would talk about this sluggard, right? And do not be a sluggard. And so when, when me and my friends were kids, you know, like we, we thought that word was funny, so we used to always call each other sluggards. Like, you're a sluggard, don't be a sluggard, get, up, get out of bed, stuff like that. And um, this warning actually means a lot to me because this is something that I can see myself falling into. I, I have a really nice recliner in my basement, and it's, it's sitting right in front of a really nice TV, and there are times where it looks extra comfortable, right? And, and maybe, like, there's a lot, a lot going on in my life, and I know that if I just, you know, turn on that TV and, and recline, like, I can really, like, do nothing. It, it'll be great and be very unproductive. See, we live in a world today where it is extremely easy to be unproductive, right? A new show comes out on Netflix every other week, right? And, and you can just binge it. You, there's no commercials nowadays. You, you can just sit down, uninterrupted, wasting time, right, of, of, of watching Netflix over and over and over again, or, or, or playing a video game till, till your eyes are red, right? Like, these are things that, that are very easy to do. It is very easy to kill your time. And so the Bible is telling us here, don't be sluggard. Don't be slothful with your life. Instead, take inventory of the time that you have and give every minute a purpose. And so this, this is how like, we can actually take the time that we have and turn it into good. See, there is a context for rest. The Bible isn't, or Proverbs isn't saying here that all rest is bad and that you have to constantly be doing something. But instead, it's showing us that there is a time and a context where rest is a very good thing. And we actually go to the very beginning of Scripture when God creates the world on day seven. We all know this, right? He looks at all of creation, he sees that it is good, and he rests. And that sets up a model for us, showing us that, I mean, we shouldn't be doing the same thing every seven days, right? Or all day, every day for the entire week. Instead, every seven days, on that seventh day, we should, we should rest. And there's, there's, a, there's a whole way of living where we are putting down our normal works, our normal day-to-day, to rest. And now resting ultimately isn't just, you know, reclining. It can be, that can be part of your day. That can be part of your routine. But ultimately, it's the act of giving your time over to God. And so what these parents of Proverbs that are writing this book, what they are trying to tell us when they tell us, don't be a sluggard, right, and don't be one of the sloth, right, They're trying to tell us that our time is valuable and that we should take inventory of that time and use it to be good good stewards of it and and use it to benefit the the kingdom of God. Then we look at Jesus, right? And he has a lot of good things to say about rest. In, In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, it says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, here's another problem with being a sluggard. When we choose to go about our own ways of resting, when we choose the recliner, right? when we choose to just simply turn off our minds and, and, and put on Netflix, put on Hulu, and, and waste the time away, what we are implicitly doing, what we are passively doing, 
is not believing that statement that Jesus makes, is not recognizing that Jesus is someone that we can go to and find rest, both physical rest and spiritual rest. He is someone, he is our refuge, someone that we can cling to and be recharged, be refueled. And Jesus wants us to do that. So that's the first warning, right? This idea that we are not to be lost. We are to be uh, aware of the time that we have. And so I, I have, a, I'm, I'm really trying to like flex my creative muscles. And so I'm trying to write my own Proverbs based on these warnings. And so I have one for, for the sloth, and it's this. The fool delights in the ways of the sluggard, but the Lord loves a tryhard. Yeah, is that good? <laughs> yeah, it's not the best, you know? I've never actually understood why people, like, make fun of tryhards, you know? Like, especially, like, in the sports context, like, don't you want a teammate that really puts in a lot of effort and, like, like the, the hustle guy? Like, that's a tryhard, right? Like, tryhards are good things. And what I'm ultimately trying to say is the Lord wants your efforts, the Lord wants you to put in effort in your relationship with him. And as we see, the more time that we give to God, the more effort that we give him, the, the less we'll regret in life. And, and the more we'll see that he's worthy of that effort. See, the, the Lord loves those who put in effort. And our effort towards our relationship with God will not go in vain. So that's warning number one. Warning number two is one that can be found all throughout the book of Proverbs as well. And I think a major reason why is because we have to remember this is written towards young people. This is written towards teenagers. This is written as a parent to their child whom they love. And it's something that we, be, we begin to experience at a very young age. And it's sex. So I want to be very crystal clear as I talk about this topic. When Proverbs brings this up, here's what it ultimately has to say. Sexual immorality is not in the path towards a good life. So here's what I mean when I say sexual immorality. Any activity outside of the context of marriage does not lead to a good life. And then Jesus picks up on that and goes on to say, any thought outside of the context of marriage that, is, that does not include your spouse is sexual immorality. Now, what Proverbs doesn't say about this is that all sex is bad. Instead, there's actually a lot of like, really graphic language in Proverbs that talks about how good sex can be, all in the context of doing it in marriage. I want to make that extremely crystal clear. And then we look at the life of Jesus, somebody who was able to not lust his entire life, right? Somebody who was able to, to, to tell us not to do these things. And here's why. Jesus loved each and every one of us perfectly. Therefore, there was no room for him to lust. See, lust at its core is looking at somebody and trying to use them for your will, trying to take advantage of them, not just sexually, but, but in any other way, trying to use them to serve you. Love is the exact opposite of that action. Love is looking at somebody and asking yourself, how can I serve them? And that's what we see Jesus doing with everyone that he encounters in the Gospels. Jesus is constantly looking at people and not saying, how can I use them? But instead, he looks at them with love and says, how can I serve them? Right? And we see that as he goes to the cross. That is an act of love towards us. 
And he is the perfect model. He is, he is a, an embodiment of what it means to not lust after somebody. So the author of Proverbs layers this book with the, these topics because he knows the dangers that it can lead to. And he ultimately knows that it will lead you down a path that is not the good life. So my babby proverb for this warning uh, to, to reference Finding Nemo, don't touch the butt. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if it was worthy of a clap. I had to reference something, but yeah, you know. Don't touch the butt. Finally, the last, the last warning. Another one that can be seen all throughout the book of Proverbs is that of speech. Okay, and so Proverbs 17 tells us this in verses 27 and 28. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. So just like how Proverbs is telling us to take inventory of the time that we have and not be sloths, and to take inventory of our bodies, right? Now it's telling us to take inventory of our words and to, to understand that our words have a tremendous amount of value. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says that we should take every thought captive. But what I hear when I read this text is on top of that, we should take every word that we're about to use captive. Now, this is another one that, that really shook me. I remember about 10 years ago now, I was, it was my first year out of high school. I was at this one-year Bible institute at Silver Birch Ranch in the northern woods of Wisconsin, most beautiful place in the world. It was, it was the fall, and I was at a time in my life where I just loved reading scripture, right? And so I opened up to the book of James, uh, I woke up super early so I could see the sunrise, and I got on a canoe, and it was like one of those perfect days where like the mist was kind of rising, and, and there was no wind, and like, the water was really still, and I'll never forget it because I read through James chapter 3. Now, I've been talking a lot about wisdom literature, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about that next month, and, 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 and the book of Job, these are wisdom literature, and it's all in the Old Testament. And the closest thing we get to that in the New Testament is the book of James, where this author just is very blunt and has a lot of these proverbial statements. And he there's only five chapters, maybe six chapters in James. He dedicates a whole chapter to this topic of speech and how we should, use, we should take every word captive. And so James 3, 9 to 10 says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. He goes on to say in this chapter that man has tamed all, everything in this world, right? has tamed all types of animals, but they can't tame their tongue. And then he goes on to talk about how ships are these big, beautiful like, vessels that, that can travel the seas, and it all weighs on a rudder, right? If the rudder is not working properly, the ship does not work properly. And in the same way, we are these beings with all of these parts, but if our, if our tongue isn't working properly, if we aren't using our speech properly, we aren't living the good life well. And so all throughout the book of Proverbs, it tells us to take inventory of our words. It also, it also warns against stirring up problems with our words and gossiping and recognizing the things that we say. 
Ephesians 4.29 kind of tells us how we can use our words for good, but it also comes with a warning. I don't have it on my sheet of paper for some reason. It's not, it's not on there, but it says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but instead use every word to uplift one another. That's a, not an, a precise translation because I don't have it in front of me, but it is Ephesians 4.29, and ultimately what, that's, what that is saying is we have the power to both break somebody down with our words or build them up, and we need to recognize that before we speak at all times. When we were kids, right, or maybe when I was a kid, there was a saying, like, I would get made fun of, right, and my, my parents would tell me, like, sticks and stones may break your bones, my bones, but names will never hurt you, or what, what? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? Words will never hurt me. Yes, thank you. You guys are paying attention. This is good. You guys are with me. This is great. You guys passed the test. I, that was intentional. You know, I think that that, that that little rhyme is very effective when you're a kid because you have a lower threshold and, and you shouldn't really take what people say at that young of an age too close to the heart, right? People are still figuring out how to use, how to use their words, right? But as you get older, as I've gotten older, Words have hurt me way more than any stick or stone, right? Like, like words, you can do a lot of damage to somebody with your words, with the, with the way that you label somebody. And so what Ephesians 4 is telling us is just that, that as a matter of fact, we need to build each other up. And so we look at the life of Jesus, and he, trust me, he had every opportunity to, to tell off the disciples, right? Or to tell off the Pharisees. But instead, we constantly see him loving his enemy, right? We constantly see him building these people that have constantly failed him up with, with, with his words to the point to where we're still studying them to this day. See, we ought to use our words to uplift one another instead of causing trouble. And so the babby proverb that I have for this one, this is actually, my dad used to tell me this all the time because I used to talk a lot. Um, and so when I would talk too much or when I would say something stupid, Sometimes he would just look at me with a straight face and say, better to let people wonder how stupid you are than to open your mouth and show them. Think about that one, yeah? <laughs> Think about that one. Take out, take out stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I grew up with, guys. That's what I grew up with. Um, take, take the word stupid and sub it for mean. Better let people wonder how mean you are than to open your mouth and show them. And I think that that, is, that can resonate with the book of Proverbs. Because ultimately, what these authors want us to do, what they are telling us, is if we want to live a good life, we need to recognize that there is a weight to our words, and we need to take inventory of them. So I've already said this, but we have a tremendous amount of value. Our bodies have a tremendous amount of value. The time that we have has a tremendous amount of value, and the words that we use have a tremendous amount of value both for good and for evil. We can, we can end up doing a lot of good things, like that verse in James. We can use our words to praise God and write these beautiful songs, but in the same way, we can use our tongues to break people down and to curse people. And so ultimately, what Proverbs is telling us to do is, is to heed these warnings and recognize that God has created a good world and wants us to live in it in a way that is good. But we have to recognize these warnings. So I want to close today by talking about three observations, three things that I want us to get from these three warnings. 
First one is each of these warnings have an appeal, but we have to understand it, they can lead us astray. They can lead, off, lead us off the path towards a good life. And so I, I just want to stop right here and say, it's no surprise that these, these warnings are in the book of Proverbs because young people struggle with each, with all three of these things. There might be some of you that struggle with, with literally all three of them. Maybe some of you can't seem to find victory in one of these areas. 